0: Past Ball Show. Brought to you by John What the f
1: do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f-
2: put that in. I don't f- So the tribe drops its third straight on this six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians. One run on, let's see. One hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit.
0: ever put out in the 100 years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh yeah, hour two of the radio program. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. I'm going to touch on a couple different things this hour, but I'm going to start out by playing an interview that I recorded with New Jersey's own Dave Gallagher and Dave... Owns a baseball academy over in Hamilton, New Jersey. He was actually born in Trenton. And he's done a lot of good work with a lot of kids over the last several years. And Dave had an interesting major league career as he had uh, was with three different teams before he really established himself with the White Sox in the late 80s and played with several other teams throughout his major league career, Gallagher in 1980. 19- 89 played in 161 games as the team's everyday center fielder, hitting 266, and pretty much after that was a good platoon player to a utility type of outfielder for many different teams after that. He played for the Indians, the White Sox, the Orioles, the Angels, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, and the Angels once again to finish out his career. His final season was in 1995. Where he actually hit three hundred six for the the Phillies and the Angels um, as a pretty good platoon outfielder. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Major League outfielder Dave Gallagher. Good morning, it's John Fielli, and I'm joined by former Major League
2: outfielder and the founder of the Dave Gallagher Baseball Academy, and that's Dave Gallagher. What's going on, Dave?
1: Good morning, John.
2: Yeah, hey anytime, man. First, uh, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the Academy and how you established it and you know, how it all got started. Well, kind of just
1: back a little way while I was still playing, uh, I kinda knew that I was gonna do some instruction while my playing career was done, I, I knew that. So I um, I built a dual purpose building at my house. I built a I, don't know, I call it batting cage, it's a separate building across the driveway, detached from the house. Uh, originally I built it so that I could work out in the winters um, before I leave for spring training. So it's got a full cool bathroom tower, a wet dry sauna, um, it's on top of the carpeting, I got room right seating on a tile on the side of it. And um, I was smart enough to build it where if the day comes when I sell the house, it's it, it's not just a batting cage. So I, I built it on an eight inch slab, um, and I also have full flooring out to the building. So if anybody wanted it as a you know a guest house on the property or an uh, in home office, it's ideal for that. It has heat and air, um, and I've had it ever since when I retired '96. Uh, I just went right into doing lessons out of that building, and then I grew to the point where now I'm uh, a port owner in in three academies: one in Hamilton, New Jersey; one in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania; one in. in uh, North Carolina, and then a huge complex in Virginia. So yeah. that's the point of it. I mean, we also own a tournament company, ECTV, out of Pennsylvania, and we've really upgraded that. Uh, and we're very heavily involved in uh, the USA Baseball National Team, uh, with uh, controlling several regions for that. So it's, it's a busy
2: life, but I have a lot of support, a lot of help. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I tell you, man, you you know, you, you get yourself. Into something like this, I'm sure a lot of your interest had to do with number one, your knowledge of the game, and number two, uh, your willingness and eagerness to teach, you know, younger kids the way and instructional, you know, stuff like that, right? Well, here's how. Here's how I look at it. Is um
1: I'm Unfortunately, I'm not good at anything else in life. That's, sad, that's a bad statement. I, I, I'm terrible with my hands on... Uh, we always have to have somebody over the house. My wife's got people coming over the house all the time to fix things because I'm terrible at fixing. My whole life really has been built around the game. And it's uh, and the only thing that I'm extremely confident in. I would sit in the room with anybody to talk baseball and feel very confident. Now. Here's the good part, it's not an equal statement because that information has been given to me over the years. It's, it's other people's information. And I was just smart enough to have my ears open and take it all in and retain it. And that comes from passion. I've always believed that if you love something, you're so interested that you hear and retain everything about it. And then you, you enhance um, your ability to then turn around and teach it to other people. When you're not so interested, you have conversations about subjects that you don't really retain the information and that's kind of where
2: I'm at now. it's if I don't pass it on other yeah, Absolutely man, I tell you it makes a lot of sense and you know it's great that you're able to do this. Once again John Pielli here with former major league outfielder Dave Gallagher. Now Dave, if you can, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a New Jersey guy just like yourself, tell, tell us a little bit about you know growing up in New Jersey and what got you into baseball as a kid. I can
1: remember church, believe it or not. Wow. I, was seven, I was seven years old and um, I just was very competitive in anything, anything that you would want to compete with me. I, I loved. Um, at seven years old, my father put me on a, a team in a church league at St. Gregory's and um, it was just that kind of put it together forming it. It was a very basic uh, league where a father would umpire and I remember being very confident walking up the home plate, and the pitcher on the mound drew the ball, and I swung and missed, and he smiled. And I said, It's on. It's on. Like that, right? That moment made it trigger something in me. Like, he not only just tried to throw that pitch me, he's happy that I missed it. <laughs> and that to me was like the competition kicked in. And that hooked me, right there, that feeling of somebody trying to be better than me at something. I love this feel. And it just grew from that day, and I've played or been involved every day since. And now when I look back, I've played every level. I've actually coached every level. I've coached um, youth ball, I've coached high school ball, I've coached college for three years, and I even coached Trent Thunder for a couple of years as their hitting coach. Um, for so, I, I continue to stay in the game. And I'm involved in a really cool program. All those things I stated before, is you what know, one of the have been doing for about the last 15 years the Rookie Career Program. It's the top five prospects on every major league team coming together in the winter at a resort in Virginia. And I am a resource player. There's maybe eight to ten of us. The um, you know, some players that have been around the block. Kevin Seitzer, I've done it. Excuse me, Rick Tyrone has done it. Um, there's a lot of guys involved up here at Adel Reynolds. And you're basically, you're not sitting there to teach the kids. Um, you're, you're more or less exposing them to things they're going to confront. So there's finances, drugs and alcohol, dealing with the media, dealing with uh, veteran players, dealing with umpires. Um, you know, so it's all kind of things that you're, you're just saying, here's what's going to happen. Some of the mistakes that I've made along the way. Here are some stories that are real, and now you get to figure out how you would act or react to these things if and when they happen to you. So that's that's one of my favorite things I've been doing, like I said, for about 15 years. So So you can see my whole life is based around the game and involved in the game, and I'm quite all right with that.
2: Yeah, no, I find that fascinating. Um, do you know offhand about how long, like something like that's been going on? Has it been just the 15 years, or is it something that the, you know, the players have had for a while?
1: It, it wasn't much longer prior to me jumping in. I think I digest that it's been about 17 years. I know the first year that they did it, they held it in Atlanta, and remember, you got you got young guys like anywhere from 18 to 22, 23 years old. Um, that, are, that are starting to make some big money, or they're right on the cusp of making that big money. But they're still young guys. They held it in Atlanta, and they had a hard time getting the chicks to come back the second morning because they were all going out at night. Yeah. So, um, it's a place they held it all it in Virginia. It's kind of off the beaten path, but it's a resort hotel you know, the kids, we keep them interested enough, we want them to show up the next morning and be involved, and um, when I think back, when when it's happening, you only know a couple of the players, you might, you know, uh, I remember Bryce Harper for his flying bonus and and all the hype around him, he was in my group, Um, but most of the kids you look at, they're just kids that are in great shape, and you don't know who they are, you don't know their, their names, and then... During the year, during the season, you're watching a game on TV and you say, oh, that kid was in my group. Yeah, there's Curtis Granderson, they're Brandon Show-Ups, you know. These guys have, have all been part of what they call breakout session. You go large seminars into smaller groups where you can really deal with questions. And, um... I do remember Curtis Granderson being a young kid that came in with a legal pad and a pen, and he did not stop asking questions. Um, he wanted to learn, he wanted to, he wanted there to be nothing, uh, nothing to have to figure out other than just playing the game when he finally broke through in the major league level. And um, and he adjusted very quickly and very well. So, it, it's, like I said, it's a great program for, for me to be involved in.
2: Yeah, no question about it. Once again, John Pielli here with Dave Gallagher. And now Dave, you know, if you can about you know, what you got going on with your academy and uh, you know, the players that you're dealing with. You know, tell, tell us what you got. Well, it's, um, it has grown recently and, and we, we do try to grow slowly. I mean, I I
1: react and adjust every season. and not just every year, but every season. We develop kids, we are very big on development. I know a lot of people say that, but um, some of the more successful financially uh, programs are, are programs that don't develop. They just they just basically ran uh, top talent from around the country and put them in tournament venues. That's not what I'm interested in. You know, I've had a pretty good career, so I you know I guess I don't feel like I have to do that. I would much rather feel good about. Getting a kid at 8, 9 years old, and, and whether it's starting with lessons or uh, part of a travel program, and then developing him. So to, at the time he gets to be a sophomore in high school, you're helping a kid maybe find the right place in college, uh, which we've been able to do. And, and that's the easy part, the tough part. For me, has always been having an honest conversation with the parent, which I'm willing to do, and I feel obligated to do. When a kid has gone backwards, Tory's stagnant, and his friends, his peers, his peers, they're all passing him. That to me is the honesty that we have to provide. The other honesty is easy. You know, I can help your son get into college by picking up the phone. If he is a pro skill player, I can pick up the phone and talk to playing scouts. Very easy. The tough ones are telling a kid and a parent, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to end at the college level. I don't want to commit so much time and money in a direction that's not going to help a good ending. Um, but I feel that that's the right way to do it. You know, I'm a parent of five kids. None of my kids play professional. Two of them, two of my boys play baseball. And with them I had to make the same decisions. Do I pick up the son and help them out of college? Well i certainly not gonna point a picture that my son can go to a college at a brother's head for baseball. That this doesn't make any sense. So I do the same with other families and no. um I think in the long run they not only respect it, I think they like it and spread the word uh, that we're doing things right. But that's, that's a part of it I really looks at it. But I love the development. We are now moving into a new building uh, as we speak. We're, we're literally picking up the from the building and, and equipment and taking it over day by day. Um, we're going to be located on uh, Route 130 right past the, the Alvin shops. And the building is twice the size of the one we're in now uh, with more ceiling height. Um, real, real good things ahead. You know, a lot of good announcements.
2: Yeah, no question. I tell you, what. One thing that you hit on there that was kind of important, I think a lot of people listening will kind of relate to. Uh, you, you mentioned about, you know, letting letting a kid and their parents know they've hit a stage where maybe a lot of other players have passed have passed them, and maybe their dream of what they want to do and playing baseball, those might might not come true. From your perspective and being a person that that's played that's played professionally and has been around the game a long time. What do you think is the best way to to tell that player, tell that parent? Because it's obviously something, like you said, it's, it's something that nobody wants to hear, but I'm sure there's a way that you say it that is, I guess, the best way possible, right? Well, I'll
1: give you an example. Uh, I know this is, remember, this is, I already admitted that baseball is what I know, so I do feel feel pretty darn good not only at developing and having my stats develop players, but also projecting and evaluating. I, I mean, I've lived it and expressed in my brain what players, what it takes from a player to handle certain levels all the way up to the top. It isn't just physical commitment and, and physical skills, it's mental strength, the ability to bounce back from failure and adversity constantly. Um, so it's an evaluation process. that. My son, uh, one of my sons, did karate lessons. I was happy that he was not interested in baseball, but he was interested in something. I was very happy that he was interested. So we took him to karate lessons without bringing up the name of the company, and he would get tested, you know, once a month. If he tested well, his, his, his belt color would change, and more money would be taken from credit So I'm okay with that as long as he's progressing and I'll celebrate it. But I went to one of his testings and it was horrible. He was horrible. And I It's like I'm smiling and watching it, that there was no way he deserved to go up in belts. And he went up and that told me all I need to know about that company. This is not a company I want to lock myself with because I would prefer they come out and say, Going to have to stay with the training at least another month and re test. That's what I saw. You know, I'm honest. and then I can deal with how to support my son and how to go from there. And we want to put them back again. Yeah, you want to be lost interest, but I don't want to be treated like that and I hope that the parents that we deal with I, I know they do because I I get complimented on it. They want the truth. They want to be told. They can handle how to tell their son. And if the son is old enough, if he's high school age, I want the kids involved in that conversation because I lay it out there in a very good way. This is one part of your life. It is certainly not the most important part of your life, and things that you've learned in this game, they can't be applied to baseball because you weren't born with the skill set. You will apply these characteristics in life your drive, your your competitiveness, your work ethic, your responsibility to your teammates. These are all things that you and I know, John, that that applies in life. So I have no problem building that kid speared up in a different direction, even when you might be chopping it off in the direction of baseball. You know, that's, um, that's something that actually obligated. Unfortunately, there's enough people out there who will play on a parent's love for their kid and say the things that they know the parent wants to hear. And I'll be honest, that sickens me. Part of all I want to grow is I want to knock those people right out of the water. I don't think they have they
2: deserve a spot in the game and, and in people's lives and it happens every day. Yeah, no question. And to me to me it's more of a separation of all right, you play in a sport for fun and then you're playing a sport for you know, for for competition and to establish yourself and to grow through it. I think there's room in the world for both of them, but, but like you said, it, it's important it's important that that you're able to separate it. If somebody is Within themselves and through their parents, uh, in a competitive nature, thinking that they're going to be able to get to the top. I think they do need somebody to to let them know where they're at, whether it's positive or negative.
1: No doubt, and I agree 100% with what he said. That there really is a place for everybody, and and the kids decide to what level. They're interested in the game. You know, there's nothing wrong with a kid who likes baseball but loves playing the drums or, you know, loves working with wood or loves working on cars. My oldest son, modified car engines for living. He's been to do that for that, the way he talks to me about it. I see his lips movement, but I'm not receiving any of his information. It's just something that doesn't interest me. I certainly love my son, so we have conversations about it. That's where his passion is. And as a parent, I could not be more thrilled that he's able to work in a career that is also mirrors his passion. That's why I think we really want that son, So, we kind of keep that clear in our own mind. We go into this with our eyes and our ears and our minds wide open. Uh, this whole, what it is, it's an industry now. Um, and I think well, we just have to pay attention to our own kids' reaction. And we, with somebody who has knowledge as to, are we, are we going down the right path? You know, are we doing enough? Or do we not need to do so much? And you got to find that right person. Um, Yet the the game has pushed so far forward on the amateur level that kids are now making unofficial commitments. Some of them, as early as their freshman year in high school, and a lot of them in in the better program, the stronger program, by their sophomore year. That's crazy to me. I don't even think it's right. I know I talk to coaches on a daily basis who don't think it's right, but it is what it is and you have to kind of prepare for that, um, but that's on a very advanced level. So that's what we're involved with, and uh, I, I think we do a pretty good job. And, and like, like I said, when you have an organization as big as mine, you're going to drop the ball sometimes, or you're going to just simply do something you thought was the right way, and as, as it turns out, it's not. And the only way I react to it is adjust.
2: I adjust, I just I'm going to see that, let me correct it, let's get back on the right path, and uh, that's how you really had to down on the every night. Yeah, no question, once again, John Pielli here with Dave Gallagher. Um, if you can, just, uh, you know, are you interested in uh, sharing a couple stories about some kids that you've been working with, and uh, some, some, some good things you got going on? Well, um, we last this
1: year, we did a national team. Uh-huh. About a year ago, uh, because it was we struggled with the summer. <laughs> Excuse me, we started with the summer, and there was a reason I waited years before I did what's called a national team that's going to travel uh, regionally around the country and try to get these kids exposed to coaches from all over. The reason I waited is I wanted the talent level to be set. I didn't want to just grab a group of kids and say we're going to call it a a national team, and travel all over, and the churches get paid, and our hotel travel is paid, but the parents are paying to the news and coming back and playing at a Division 3 in New Jersey. Nothing wrong with a Division 3 in New Jersey because it's on the strongest baseball in the country on yes, the of Division 3 level, but you don't have to travel all over the country to, to do that, to accomplish that, these guys are coming to see it locally, and that's why I made it. So finally, at the town level, we did it, and man, it, it turned out. We did well. Uh, we have two of our kids that are. Field and there. They're in their sophomore year right now. Uh, they're going to room together at the University of North Carolina. Uh, they're 2016 graduates. They have scholarships for U.S.A. We have another kid who is a junior right now who is going to East Carolina. Uh, another going to Villanova. Another going to Boston College. These guys are all committed already. And, and several who are right on the verge of making that unofficial commitment. Um, And even a bigger picture, I told you about the USA program we're involved in. I did that from start to finish to make sure it was not a scam, and make sure it was truly playing for your country and playing for the national team. And not only is it, um, but it is great for your great for a kid who has the ability. It's a grind because you've got to make it through several levels. You have to try out at the state level, it's selected, Try out at the regional level in front of different evaluators get selected. Go to Cali, North Carolina in of the USA people get selected for the national roster. We knew a lot of players made it and won gold medals. One of them, um, Dan out of Pennsylvania, won a 12 year gold medal um, with, with the national team, Chinese Taipei. And I came 20 in North Carolina, Brandon Martell, um, he wanted for the 15U in Columbia. And I absolutely think in Brandon's case that exposure he got to college coaches through the USA program helped him in that So there's a lot of good things that are happening. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of this information on my website. We have trials coming up for that USA program. Uh, later this month, I think it's spread about two weeks for uh, several age from 11 all the way up to 17 years old, and uh, that info is on my website, which is uh, DaveValegaBaseball.com.
2: No, fantastic, man, and of course, you know, you since you've finished playing, you've gotten a chance to accomplish a lot of things. You, you know, you invented the stride tutor, you got the academy going, you've written a book, I'm going forward for Dave Gallagher. Is there anything else that you are looking to accomplish? It's
1: funny that you said writing a book because it's Mark Gomer, who is really the writer, obviously, um, and he's also a friend of mine and has worked in my, um, in my academy as an instructor for years. He's now the director of sports information for the college in New Jersey. He's really the writer. But we sat down and put some good information in a, in a, in a it's really a journal, um, a, a way for a parent to, kind uh, of like, that's more than score for your kid, it's writing down notes and then being able to have an honest conversation after games instead of an argument. Um, but what that I think I think I could do a very interesting book on the, the life that I've lived because it's not, it isn't the superstar <laughs> 10 year contract for, you know, $80 million. It's more one year contract for my entire career. Uh, eight years in the minor leagues and in of nine in the major leagues, but every single one of them was a one year deal. So every time you start to slide, you smoke a little bit, you wonder and worry are you going to be released? And if I am, what am I gonna to do to raise these five children I have? You know what I mean? So it was a lot of immense amount of pressure and then to be able to play under that pressure, the game was actually the release of the pressure because the focus that it took it, it took my brain to a different place. The downtime was the harder part and I think there's interest, I just don't know if there's interest globally or if it's just people that know you but I interested in
2: the game would probably like to hear all those things and someday uh, when I have some time, maybe I'll put all that down on paper. We'll see. Well, good luck with that, man. And I'll tell you, I'm uh, obviously the historian aspect of me loves to read, so I'm guaranteed to grab myself a copy, you know, if you're ever, ever able to get it out. Listen, Dave, I want to thank you for having some time. Appreciate all the stuff we went over right here and hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, John. You take care.
0: There's plenty more things I wanted to get into about Dave Gallagher and his baseball career and uh, really uh, where, where it started. I mean, uh, to be you know drafted so high and have so much expected out of you, to be with the Indians and the Mariners organization and then with the White Sox before you make your major league debut, had to certainly be a, a kind of a weird experience for a young player. And you see that happen a lot today. Uh, Travis Darno with the New York Mets would be a good example, a guy who a lot has been expected out of, but here's a guy that was drafted by the Phillies, and the Phillies moved him in a trade to get Roy Halladay, and of course the Blue Jays moved him in a trade with the Mets to get R.A. Dickey, so before he ever made his Major League debut, he had bounced around a little bit and of course is struggling right now sitting down in the minors with the New York Mets, but uh, Dave Gallagher had some expectations and was moved around to a lot of different teams, and I think a lot of people uh, see it's a little more evident that he played for a lot of major league teams. But I think, to me, I would touch—I would want to touch on what happened early on in his career to bounce around with those couple different organizations before establishing himself with the White Sox. And uh, you know, great speaking with Dave, and of course, we're going to have him on again. Uh, talk a little more baseball. Talk a little bit more about the academy and uh, you know, as always, uh, you know, great, great for him uh, checking in with us. But once again, John Pelle Passball Show, right here on the MTR Radio Network, brought to you by JohnPelle.com. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take our break, and right on the other side, we're gonna get into a couple things. We're gonna talk about the. Uh, Just mentioned Toronto Blue Jays as one of the teams that I'm going to talk about. One of the surprises, one of the disappointments. And we'll catch up with a lot of other stuff going on in Major League Baseball right here. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. This is the Passball Show.
1: Are you searching for something different for your child's education? Consider Atlantic Christian School, where faith and quality education
2: meet. Listen to what one of our students has to say about their experience at ACS. Atlantic Christian School is an amazing school. It has many different qualities that set it apart from public schools. It is an extremely safe environment where students care and look after each other. There is a Bible class where students learn about God and grow closer to Him. In Bible class, we do Chop Shop. It is where we learn to dissect God's words so we can hear His direction for our lives. They have service projects where we learn to serve our Lord and community. Atlanta Christian School is a wonderful place that changes the lives of the students that go there. Come learn about our new lower tuition rates at our open house every Wednesday from 8 a.m.
1: to 1 p.m. at 391 Zion Road in Egg Harbor Township. Or enroll today. Visit us on the web at acseht.org or call 653 1199. Atlanta Christian School, where character, Christ, and
0: community count. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin.
2: And Joey Baboots. We host the morning show together, and every morning we start up our cars and make the drive up to the studio.
0: And you know, we always see one or two accidents along the way. We wanted to make sure our listeners know where to go for the best in car care in South Jersey.
2: That's right, James. Red Rose Body Shop. That's Red Rose Body Shop. Specializes in collision and framework. They're the best in South Jersey for paint and body work, unibody framework, free towing, and free estimates. So call today,
0: 609-927-9454 and check out their website, www.redroseautobody.com. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Red
2: Rose Red Rose Body Shop, 2033 Ocean Heights Avenue, Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, 609-927-9454.
0: Red Rose Body Shop is South Jersey's collision specialist.
2: 609-927-9454 or redrosebodyshop.com. Been in an accident? Take your car to the professionals at Red Rose Body Shop. John P.L.A.'s Passball
0: Show, posted by a guy called John P.L.A. Tuning into John P.L.A.'s Passball Show at JohnPL.A.com. Oh yeah, welcome back, John P.L.A. Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPL.A.com. And of course, a sad note this past week... Former Major League pitcher Bob Welsh, who pitched several seasons for the Dodgers and the Oakland Athletics, passed away at the age of 57. And Welsh came onto the scene in 1978 with the Los Angeles Dodgers at age 21 and was known for a big strikeout in the World Series of Reggie Jackson. And he kind of bounced back and forth between the bullpen and a starting rotation. His first couple years and established himself as a starter for the Dodgers, winning as many as 16 games for them in 1982. And then, of course, he had three straight 17 plus win seasons with the Oakland Athletics in 1988, 1989, and 1990. And of course, culminating with the ridiculous 27 win season he had for the Athletics in 1990, the 818 winning percentage. Um, the 238 innings, 27 wins. The first pitcher since Denny McLean to win anywhere near as many. And uh, obviously a Cy Young award that he grabbed that year for his career. He won 211 games. Lost 146. made at 462 starts. Had just slightly less than 2,000 career strikeouts. Was a very good pitcher. Um, 61 complete games. 28 shutouts. But what stands out about Bob Welsh was his experience he had in a postseason. And the reason I say use the word experience is because his experience in a postseason came before the expanded playoff format. And you have wild cards, you have a division series. You didn't have that during the career of Bob Welch. And he had a chance to pitch for some very good teams with the Dodgers and the athletics. In fact, the Dodgers of 78, 81, 83, and 85 all made the postseason. Now, of course, Welch was part of the 1981 Dodgers that won one half of the National League Western Division. So they played in a division series against the Houston Astros in which they won. But, you know, for the exception of that, that was the only division series he pitched in his career because the real division series, the one that you know of today in Major League Baseball, doesn't exist that way. But a guy who was essentially the missing piece for the Oakland Athletics, a young team that had guys like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and, uh, Dave Stewart and Rick Honeycutt and Mike Moore, who are all around there. But the addition of Bob Welsh in 1988 uh, certainly became a difference. And the A's became a perennial playoff team, making the World Series in 88, 89 and 90, heavily favored in 88. Of course, if it wasn't for the uh, the miraculous home run hit by Kirk Gibson off of Dennis Eckersley, perhaps that series ends differently because a lot of people say That on paper, the Athletics were the better team. But obviously, it doesn't matter what team is better on paper. It matters what team does the best on the field. But it doesn't take anything away for what Welsh and those Oakland Athletic teams did. I mean, in 1988, 89, and 90, you could say the Athletics were, without a doubt, one of, if not the best team in all Major League Baseball, start to finish. I mean, there probably wasn't a dominant team over that three-year span. Um, You could talk about the Reds who won the World Series in 1990, the Giants who the Reds swept away in that Bay Area earthquake series of 1989. But if you look at Bob Welch, the guy got into pitched almost 50 innings in the postseason, two saves, three and three record, 4.56 ERA, uh, 17 games, nine as a starter. So he got essentially a chance to do just about everything. Now he made he made his first start in '81 with the Dodgers, and from that point forward was used as a starting pitcher in the postseason. But one thing that I find pretty interesting because you look at the fact that there were probably lesser players. And lesser pitchers in Major League Baseball history that got more consideration for baseball's Hall of Fame than Bob Welsh did. And Welsh's first year of eligibility was in 2000, which was exactly five years after his retirement. And to go back to that year in a ballot, um, Carlton Fisk and Tony Perez were both uh, selected that season, with future Hall of Famers Jim Rice, Gary Carter, Bruce Souter, and Goose Gossage finishing three through six. Burt Eleven finished 13th that year, getting 17.4%. And Welsh was amongst the list of players that did not get consideration after that first year. Bob Boone was in his fifth year, but the other players on their first year to ballot, Jeff Reardon, Willie Wilson, Rick Sutcliffe, Ken Herbeck, Charlie Huff, Dave Henderson, Steve Sachs, Lonnie Smith, Bruce Hurst, Bill Gullickson, and Hubie Brooks. Brooks was the only one that didn't receive a vote. And Welsh, along with Gullickson, Hurst, and Smith all got one vote. But in my opinion, I think Welsh should have gotten more consideration. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that he was a Hall of Famer. But I do think that there should have been a little more thought involved when it comes to uh, Bob Welsh being a Hall of Famer. The guy won over 200 games. The guy pitched several times in a postseason. I, I would have I would have liked to see him come back on the ballot for one more season. Even if he gets about 8% the first year or 6% and doesn't get the 5% the second year, I think he would have deserved that. But certainly, rest in peace, Bob Welsh. Condolences to his family and, of course, to the, both the teams of the Dodgers and the Athletics who lost a member of, of their baseball family. Once again, John Pieli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, brought to you, of course, by johnpieli.com. If you can, tweet at me if you want to. Uh, John underscore we will keep the program interactive during all broadcasts of the Passball Show, whether it's Saturday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Saturday evening, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., Sunday morning, 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., and Sunday night, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. I do keep my my phone on me. I'm always ready to go back and forth with people as we've done through the interactivity of Twitter. But moving on right here, um, I did want to touch on a couple teams that have been a little bit of a surprise this year. And one of them is the Toronto Blue Jays. And a lot of people knocked the Blue Jays last year because of the trade for Jose Reyes and the one that got him R.A. Dickey, and all the players that they ended up bringing in Uh, They said it was the the Miami Marlins, the team that didn't work with them the year before. So there's no way it would make sense, and there's no way the Toronto Blue Jays would be any good. I got to admit, I was one of the ones that took the bait last year. I thought that the Blue Jays had addressed enough needs. They got themselves Jose Reyes to play shortstop. They got themselves R.A. Dickey and Josh Johnson. And I thought they had a pretty good bullpen, which that ended up being proven true. But in regards to... The, the way the team performed, it did not work out for them last year. They, they really were one of the bigger disappointments in all of Major League Baseball. And some people said if it wasn't a disappointment. They were supposed to be so bad. But they finished 74-88, and 88, which was good enough for fifth place, last place in the American League East. This year, at the moment of this broadcast, they sit at 39-29, and 29, as manager John Gibbons has them doing pretty well. And uh, they're led, of course, by their first baseman Edwin Encarnacion, and a handful of other players. Melky Cabrera's off to a good start, hitting over 300. Joey Bats, uh, probably not the uh, tremendous 50-home run power hitter he, he was before, but he's hitting 310 with 15 home runs. And the the good thing has been the pitching. Uh, Mark Burley's 10 and 3. I don't think anybody would have expected him to be as dominant at he as he has been. But R. A. Dickey has pitched well. Drew Hutchinson has stepped in and has become a staple in that team's rotation. And they've they've managed with guys like Dustin McGowan and Marcus Stroman, who's up here in the major leagues for the first time. uh, They've they've managed to fill out the rest of the, the rotation. I think the Blue Jays, if they want to take this season seriously and think of themselves as a legitimate contender in the American League East, they need to get themselves another legit starting pitcher. And this was a team that with guys like Josh Johnson and Brandon Morrow last year, I thought could have done more. Now, John, Johnson was horrible while he was pitching and it ended up being hurt uh, for most of the season. The Tommy John surgery this year with the San Diego Padres, he's done for the year. And Brandon Morrow was, a, was another guy who has extreme ability, but just hasn't shown it uh, over the last couple of years, and of course injuries have gotten the best out of him, and he's not in the mix anymore. And it's it's been, it's been a rough rough look at it. I mean Ricky Romero, remember he was another guy that was considered to to be a top pitcher on that staff, and you know to have all those guys and the expectations and the disappointments that certainly led the Blue Jays to be where they were last year. So you ask yourself this question: Can they compete with the other teams in the American League East? The New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, the Baltimore Orioles, the Tampa Bay Rays, they're all good baseball teams. And I think if you came into this season, especially off of last year, and let's be honest, we do this a lot kind of without thinking about it, we judge teams at their current state based off of what they did last season. Now, the Blue Jays, who may have had higher hopes going into 2013, did not have high hopes going into 2014 because of what they did last year. And if you wanted to say, all right, if if we we wanted to name one team in the American League East that was not going to have a chance to win this division, uh, I I bet you in a high 90s in regards of the percentile, people would vote for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I think they can compete. I really like their bullpen. Uh, All-stars like Brett Cecil and Steve Delabar and Casey Jansen is having a fantastic season as the closer. Uh, I think they have a very good mix in their bullpen. Now the question is, do they have enough strength in their rotation? Is Mark Burley going to pitch at the ridiculous pace that he's been at this year? 10-3, 228 ERA, uh, you know, there's really nothing nothing that's too shabby at all. And if he keeps that up, he's uh, going to be well on his way to 20 wins and possible Cy Young consideration. And you got the veteran R.A. Dickey, who of course is there as well. But Burley and Dickey are anchor in a rotation. I think Drew Hutchinson is a solid three. He's probably, over time, better off being pushed in at a four spot. If the Blue Jays can go out there and get themselves a legitimate number two, three starting pitcher to add to the mix, I thought they would have been a great team to add an Irvin Santana. And it didn't happen. And I was disappointed in their offseason because I thought they had to address their starting rotation. Now, listen, to this point, Burley's been pitching over his head. Dickey's been good. Hutchinson's been good. But uh, are they going to expect Marcus Stroman to go out there and be an ace-type pitcher? He may be over time. Just maybe not right now, though. And if you look at the mix they got in there, I do think they absolutely need to add themselves a starting pitcher. And hopefully, general manager Alex Antopoulos goes out there and makes the moves that he really needs to make. But while we're talking about a team in the American League East that's doing very well, Let's talk about a team that's not doing so well, a team that has been an extreme disappointment this year. That, of course, is the Tampa Bay Rays of the 2014 season. They were 25-42 and at the moment of this broadcast. And a team that, listen, let's be honest, everybody everybody loves them. Everybody loves the Rays. Everybody loves Joe Madden. Everybody loves uh, the fact that they don't spend a lot of money, that they have all these grinder type of players, the grinder manager, and they're not winning. And I think while you want to blast a team for spending money, like like you may want to blast the Dodgers if they don't get the job done, or the Yankees if they don't get the job done, or whatever team spends that considerable amount of money, I think you have to be balanced and blast a team and give a team a hard time that is not getting a job done that just isn't spending. Everybody's going to go out there and make the excuses for the Tampa Bay Rays oh, the market just doesn't allow for them to have the payroll that they need to have to compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox. But you know why this is such a joke? It's a joke because of what people say on the other side of it when they say the Rays can compete with these teams without spending. Now, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth if you're saying that the Rays can compete with these other teams without spending – and saying it's okay for them not to spend and for them not to be good. There's a responsibility. and You can't say that the Tampa Bay Rays are playing with house money because of their payroll. Because you're, you're telling me that it's okay for them to have a payroll so low. So if they don't have to spend, it's not playing with house money every year. And the fact that they sit there at 17 games under 500, there has to be some accountability. Now I'm not going to go out there and say you got to fire Joe Madden or you got to make a big shakeup, but let's be honest. I mean, there's been a lot of things that haven't gone right for the Tampa Bay Rays. David Price had a little bit of a down season in 2013 after winning a Cy Young in 2012. He hasn't pitched very well this year. Chris Archer has pitched okay. Jake Godarisi, another guy that they that they they brought over. Uh, in a a trade that sent James Shields over to the Royals. They can give up their veteran presence for these young guys that are automatically going to be stars. How does that deal look for them at this very second? Because I I do want to get into that. Jake Godarissi, Will Myers. uh, Everybody was destroying the trade that sent James Shields to the Kansas City Royals along with Wade Davis. If you look at the future of it, Shields will eventually be a free agent. Uh Myers, Autorisi, obviously under team control with the Rays for several seasons. So that's an aspect of the whole thing that you can't really knock. And I'm not gonna try to. But Will Myers is on the disabled list right now. After winning a rookie of the year last year, he's hitting just two twenty seven when he's been out there. Aderisi, like I said, is two and seven. They have both had a hand in this team not being very good. And you look at a team that's led, of course, by their star third baseman, Evan Longoria. And he's hitting 263, seven home runs, 27 runs batted in. While not horrible numbers, he's not carrying the team on his back. And they don't have those complimentary type of players. Everybody loves Ben Zobris. Uh, how is Ben Zobrist looking? He's hitting 246 right now. But guys like Desmond Jennings, Myers, like I mentioned, David DeJesus, uh, Matt Joyce. None of these guys have really stepped to the forefront to become supporting players for Evan Longoria. And you wonder over time, similar to what the Mets are, are going through with the mind of their third baseman David Wright, when does Evan Longoria say, "All right, I need that Robin to to uh, support my Batman tactics"? I, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. But if you look at this. Tampa Bay team and you look at a veteran like James Loney yes it was very good for them to sign him to the multi-year deal he they did but James Loney is not going to carry the Tampa Bay Rays they were expecting a guy like Myers or Joyce or Jennings or Zobrist let's be honest everybody loves Ben Zobrist that Ben Zobrist is the greatest baseball player in the history of the world what has he done what is he doing this year he doesn't look that great I think he is the most overrated player in baseball because everybody loves their saber stats and everything, but Ben Zobrist's value hasn't looked so great this year. I I would put part of it on Ben Zobrist for the fact that this team is 17 games under 500. Now let's talk about the San Francisco Giants for a second. Are they that much of a surprise? This is a team that won the World Series in 2010 as well as 2012. If you follow their season in 2013, obviously was not as magical as their two World Series championship seasons. A 76-86 and 86 team that finished third in the National League West. Uh, Buster Posey had a pretty good season. 294, 72 RBIs. Brandon Belt emerged on the scene. Hunter Pence got himself his new deal by becoming one of the staple players on the San Francisco Giants team. Um, a team known for their pitching. They were led last season by their emerging ace, left-hand pitcher Madison Bumgarner. And, of course, Tim Lincecum had kind of a comeback season, pitching nearly 200 innings. Matt Keane continued to struggle. Barry Zito, who is not back this year, and Ryan Vogelsong. Did not get the job done. So what has worked for the Giants this season in 2014? Are they that much of a surprise? That's the question that I led with. They sit right now with 43 and 24. Of course, they're led by their manager, Bruce Bochy. So what has worked for them? I mean, they've had a consistent offense, though not really getting anything at their second base position. Their first base position, Brandon Belt, he's been hurt. You gotta say the biggest move that has paid dividends for the Giants this year was the signing of Michael Morse. And I know Nelson Cruz gets a lot of credit and you talk about his start, but Michael Morse is hitting 287, 13 home runs, 42 runs batted in. He was a guy when he signed as a free agent with the Seattle Mariners last year. I thought that was a pretty good signing. I thought this guy could go out there and hit 30 to 35 home runs and rejuvenate a lineup that certainly needed some leadership. Well, a year later, similarly to what I said about the Toronto Blue Jays before, everything ha- happened in positive a year later, which I don't think anyone could have expected, Michael Morse has certainly got himself into a position where he may be making some big bucks next season. But Morse and the outfield uh, has set that lineup up to where they could be pretty good. And Michael Morse and Angel Pagan and Hunter Pence um, are really the reasons that this team has been as good offensively as they have been. Because their infield has not been good. Brandon Belt's been hurt. I told you about guys like Brandon Hicks and Joakim Arias trying to play second base. Uh, listen, I mean, neither of them are hitting over 200. So it's obviously a situation where they're having to get by with what they got. But pitching-wise, Hudson has gotten off to a very good start. He's 7-2. and Bumgarner's 8-4. Uh, Ryan Vogelsong has given him innings as opposed to last year when he didn't. In spite of Matt Cain being hurt, um, you know, Samaro Petit is filled in, but their bullpen has been very good. JC Gutierrez, Gene Mac- Mackey, um, Jeremy Affeld, Javier Lopez, Sergio Romo, probably one of the most underrated bullpens in all of baseball and probably one of the best, I guess, is the Giants are going to compete and probably have a good chance to win this National League Western division, no matter how good the Dodgers are. Now, while I mentioned before about a good team in the AL East that's been surprising and a team that's been surprising in the other direction, the same thing you could say about the National League Western Division. You got the Giants who are off to a fantastic start, but you also have the Arizona Diamondbacks, which continue to struggle. This was a team that we touched on in the first month of the season that they just couldn't get it together. Right now, they sit at 29-40, fifth place in the National League Western Division. And this is a team that uh, obviously had a lot of expectations. Paul Goldschmidt, who in my mind should have won the National League MVP last season. They have a pretty good lineup, a deep lineup. Um, their, Their outfield situation was improved with the acquisition of Mark Trumbo, but he's been hurt. Trumbo got off to a good start with seven home runs in spite of his 210 batting average has not been in a lineup for more than 21 games this season and that has had an impact on his team Cody Ross who was a fourth outfielder type but got a sign last year hoping to be a good fit in their lineup has not worked out and let's be honest the pitching has been terrible I mean, you look at the guys that they brought in. Bronson Arroyo has actually pitched pretty well lately, but Brandon McCarthy's 1-9. Wade Miley's 3-6. and six. Uh, Neither of them seem like they can get out of their own way right now. Josh Kalmenter has stepped in in rotation and actually pitched better than anticipated. Uh, Randall Delgado um, struggled. He has struggled in the bullpen. Trevor Cahill has got himself off the team. And there's a lot of expectations for players that were expected to do good with the Arizona Diamondbacks that just hasn't worked out that way. So hopefully the team can get it together. Big thanks today to Jim Bunning and Dave Gallagher for being part of the program. We'll be right back with you next week, right here on the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget to tweet at me at John underscore See you next week.
1: Rock over London, Rock on Chicago, the heartbeat of America,
0: yesterday's Chevrolet.